0: Legislation. Such were the principal stages in the history of the laws that affected wills made before 1838 or proved before 1858. The principal acts in force in the early 20th century were the Wills Act 1837, the Amending Act of 1852, the Court of Probate Act 1857, the Judicature Acts 1873 and 1875, and the Land Transfer Act 1897. All but the Acts of 1837 and 1852 deal mainly with what happens to the will after death, whether under the voluntary or contentious jurisdiction of the probate division. The earliest on the statute roll is an Act of Henry III, 1236, enabling a widow to bequeath the crops of her lands. Before the Wills Act 1837 uniformity in the law had been urgently recommended by the real property commissioners in 1833. It appears from their report that at the time of its appearance there were ten different ways in which a will might be made under different circumstances. The Wills Act 1837 affected both the making and the interpretation of wills. Excluding the latter for the present, its main provisions were these. All property, real and personal, and of whatever tenure, may be disposed of by will. If customary freeholds or copyholds are devised, the will must be entered on the manorial rolls. No will made by any person under the age of twenty-one is valid. Every will is to be in writing, signed at the foot or end thereof by the testator or by some person in his presence and by his direction, and such signature is to be made or acknowledged by the testator in the presence of two or more witnesses present at the same time, who are to subscribe the will in the presence of the testator. It is usual for the testator and the witnesses to sign every sheet. Gifts to a witness or the husband or wife of a witness are void. A will is revoked by a later will, or by destruction with the intention of revoking, but not by presumption arising from an alteration in circumstances. Alterations in a will must be executed and attested as a will. A will speaks from the death of the testator, unless a contrary intention appears. An unattested document may be, if properly identified, incorporated in a will. Rules of interpretation or construction depend chiefly on decisions of the courts, to a smaller extent on statutory enactment. The law was gradually brought into its present condition through precedents extending back for centuries, especially decisions of the court of chancery, the court par excellence of construction, as distinguished from the court of probate. The court of probate did not deal unless incidentally with the meaning of the will, its jurisdiction was confined to seeing that it was duly executed. The present state of the law of interpretation is highly technical. Some phrases have obtained a conventional meaning which the testators who used them probably did not dream of. Many of the judicial doctrines which had gradually become established were altered by the Wills Act 1837. Rules of interpretation founded on principles of equity independent of statute are very numerous. Some of the more important, stated in as general a form as possible, are these. The intention of the testator is to be observed. This rule is called by Sir Edward Koch the Pole star to guide the judges. There is a presumption against intestacy, against double portions, against constructing merely precatory words to import a trust, etc. One part of the will is to be expounded by another. Interlineations and alterations are presumed to have been made after, not as in deeds before, execution. Words are supposed to be used in their strict and primary sense. Many words and phrases, however, such as money, residue and issue in other words of relationship, have become invested with a technical meaning, but there has been a recent tendency to include illegitimate children in a gift to children. Evidence is admissible in certain cases to explain latent ambiguity, and parole evidence of the terms of a lost will may be given as in the famous case of Sugden Lord St. Leonard's, 1876, relating to the lost will of Edward Sugden, 1st Baron St. Leonard's. A will may be void, in whole or in part, for many reasons, which may be divided into two great classes, those arising from external circumstances and those arising from the will itself. The main examples of the former class are revocation by burning, tearing, etc., by a later will or by marriage of the testator, except as below, incapacity of the testator from insanity, infancy or legal disability, such as being a convict, undue influence and fraud, any one of which is ground for the court to refuse or revoke probate of a will. A will being ambulatory is always revocable, unless in one or two exceptional instances. Undue influence is a ground upon which frequent attempts are made to set aside wills. Its nature is well explained in a judgment of Lord Penzance's, pressure of whatever character, whether acting on the fears or the hopes, if so exerted as to overpower the volition without convincing the judgment, is a species of restraint under which no valid will can be made. There is nothing corresponding to the Kerala Inofficiosi Testamenti, But unnatural provisions may be evidence of mental defect. The circumstances appearing on the face of the will which make it open to objection may either avoid it altogether or create a partial intestacy, the will remaining good as a whole. Where the will is not duly executed, for example if it is a forgery or if it is not signed by the testator or the proper number of witnesses, the will is not admitted to probate at all. Where it contains devises or bequests bad in law, as in general restraint of marriage, or tending to create perpetuities, or contrary to public policy, or to some particular enactment, only the illegal part is void. A remarkable instance is a well-known case in which a condition subsequent in a devise was held void as against public policy, being a gift over of the estate devised in case the first devisee, the eldest son of an earl, did not before his death obtain the lapsed title of Duke of Bridgewater. At common law there could be no larceny of a will of lands." but by the Larceny Act 1861 stealing, injuring or concealing a will, whether of real or personal estate, was punishable with penal servitude for life. Forgery of a will, at one time a capital crime, rendered the offender liable to the same penalty. Fraudulent concealment of a will material to the title by a vendor or mortgager of land or chattels is, by the Law of Property Amendment Act 1859, a misdemeanor punishable by fine or imprisonment or both history of wills in other jurisdictions. United States. In the 21st century, 18 is the typical age of testamentary capacity. Full liberty of disposition is not universal. In particular, many states normally grant spouses the right to at least half the estate regardless of what the will says, or if no will can be found. Some require that children cannot be disinherited without good cause. In many cases, children omitted in a will may still take their share. Louisiana followed French law, by which the testator can under no circumstances alienate by will more than half his property if he leaves issue or ascendance. In 1911, the husband's consent was sometimes required for a married woman's will to be valid, but this is no longer the case. Nuncupative and holographic wills are valid in some states, but are forbidden in others. The former are confined to personality and must generally be reduced to writing within a short time after the words are spoken. In Louisiana the mystic or sealed will still existed in 1911. The number of witnesses necessary for the validity of a will of any kind is usually two. Vermont, the last state to require three witnesses, changed its law in 2006. To be valid, witnesses must not be heirs under the will. In 1911, the wills of soldiers and sailors were privileged, as in England. In modern U.S. law, wills are not required to be registered prior to death in most states, but are registered and put in the public record after the person making the will dies and the estate is probated. However, it is often still a good idea to have the signing and witnessing of a will notarized, to reduce the risk of disputes over the will's validity after death. Wills can be used to nominate guardians for minor children, but because children are not property, the will cannot have the final word on the question. Guardianship is decided by courts, though the usual outcome is that guardianship is awarded to the other surviving parent, or, if no parents survive, to the guardian nominated in the last surviving parent's will. Scotland, as of 1911. Up to 1868 wills of immovables were not allowed under Scots law. The usual means of obtaining disposition of heritage after death was a trust disposition and settlement by deed to prosente, under which the truster disposed the property to trustees according to the trusts of the settlement, reserving a life interest. Thus something very similar to a testamentary disposition was secured by means resembling those employed in England before the wills act of Henry VIII. The main disadvantage of the trust disposition was that it was liable to be overthrown by the heir, who could reduce ex caput lecti all voluntary deeds made to his prejudice within sixty days of the death of his ancestor. In 1868 the Titles to Land Consolidation Act made it competent to any owner of lands to settle the succession to the same in the event of death by testamentary or mortis causa deeds or writings. In 1871 reduction ex caput lecti was abolished. A will of immovables must be executed with the formalities of a deed and registered to give title. The disability of a woman as a witness was removed by the Titles to Land Consolidation Act. As to wills of movables, there are several important points in which they differ from corresponding wills in England, the influence of Roman law being more marked. Males may make a will at fourteen, females at twelve. A nuncupative legacy is good to the amount of one hundred-pound Scots, and a holographic testament is good without witnesses, but it must be signed by the testator, differing in this from the old English holograph. By the Conveyancing Act 1874 such a will is presumed to have been executed on the date which it bears. Not all movables can be left, as in England. The movable property of the deceased is subject to jus relicté and légitime. See McLaren, Wills and Succession, for the law, and Judicial Styles for styles. France, as of 1911. The law is mainly contained in Art. 967 1074 of the French Civil Code. Wills in France may be of three kinds: Holograph, which must be wholly written, dated, and signed by the testator. Notarily executed, for example drawn up by two notaries and signed in presence of two witnesses or by one notary before four witnesses, this form of will must be dictated by the testator and drafted by the notary, must be read over to the testator in the presence of the witnesses, and must be signed by testator and witnesses. Mystic, which is signed by the testator, then closed and sealed and delivered by him to a notary before six witnesses, the notary then draws up an account of the proceedings on the instrument which is signed by the testator notary and witnesses. Beneficiaries and their blood relations to the fourth degree may not be witnesses. Nuncupative wills are not recognized. Soldiers and sailors' wills are subject to special rules as in most other countries. Full freedom of testation only exists when the testator has no ascendants or descendants, otherwise the disposable portion of his estate is constrained by the rules of forced heirship, if the testator has one child he may only dispose of half his estate, if two only one-third. If three or more, only one fourth. If he has no descendants but ascendants in both lines, he may dispose of half. If ascendants in one line only, he may dispose of three fourths. The full age of testamentary capacity is twenty-one years, but minors over the age of sixteenth may dispose by will of half of the estate of which they could dispose had they been of full age. There is no restriction against married women making wills. Will substitutes such as will contracts or pactum successorium, A.K.A. contract concerning succession. Are invalid. Article 791 FRCC. The civil codes of southern continental Europe are in general accordance with French law. Germany, as of 1911, most of the law will be found in the German Civil Code, sections 2064 to 2273. A holograph will, either single or joint, is allowed. Other wills must be notarily executed, declared before a judge, or, if outside Germany, a consul. Two witnesses are required unless the witness is a notary or a clerk of court, court registrar, any of whom will suffice. The formalities may be relaxed in certain cases, such as imminent death, a state of siege, a prevailing epidemic, etc. Freedom of testation is constrained by the rules of forced heirship, descendants, ascendants, and the spouse are all entitled to forced shares, a.k.a. legal right shares. Forced heirs may only be disinherited for certain specified kinds of misconduct. Will contracts are invalid, however, a pactum successorium, a.k.a. contract concerning succession, made inter vivos is valid in certain cases and will operate on the death of the deceased. The two main types of pactus successoria are the contractual disclaimer of interest, erperzeitvertrag, and deed of variation, erbauskofertag. Revoking a will works much the same as in England, except with respect to marriage. One particular form of revocation in Germany occurs when a will is found to be inconsistent with a pactum accessorium, in such an event the will is wholly or pro tanto revoked. International law. There are three main directions which the opinion of jurists and the practice of courts have taken, as of 1911. The whole property of the testator may be subjected to the law of his domicile. To this effect is the opinion of Savigny and the German practice. Certain modifications have been made by modern law, especially by the Einforungsgesates of 1896. The property may be subjected to the law of the place where it happens to be at the time of the testator's death. The movable property may be subjected to the law of the domicile. The immovable, including leaseholds, to the law of the place where it is situated, the lex loci re city. England and the United States follow this rule. Testamentary capacity is generally governed by the law of the testator's domicile at the time of his death, the form of the instrument in most countries either by the law of his domicile or the law of the place where the will was made, at his option. The old rule of English law was to allow the former alternative only. The law was altered for the United Kingdom in 1861 by the Wills Act 1861, known as Lord Kingsdown's Act, by which a will made out of the United Kingdom by a British subject is as far as regards personal estate, good if made according to the forms required by the law of the place where it was made, or by the law of the testator's domicile at the time of making it, or by the law of the place of his domicile of origin. Subsequent change of domicile does not avoid such a will. Another act passed on the same day, the Domicile Act 1861, enacted that by convention with any foreign government foreign domicile with regard to wills could not be acquired by a testator without a year's residence and a written declaration of intention to become domiciled. By the same act foreign consuls may by convention have certain authority over the wills and property of subjects of foreign states dying in England. In the United States some states have adopted the narrow policy of enacting by statute the old common law rule and providing that no will is valid unless made in the form required by the law of the state of the testator's domicile. The capacity of the testator, revocation and construction of a will, are governed by the law of the domicile of the testator at the time of his death, except in cases affected by Lord Kingsdown's Act, as he must be supposed to have used language in consonance with that law, unless indeed he express himself in technical language of another country. A good instance is Grew's case, 1904, Prob. 269, where it was held that the will of a Dutch woman, at the time of her death domiciled in England, duly made in Holland was not revoked by her marriage, that being no ground of revocation by the law of Holland. The persons who are to take under a will are decided by different rules according as the property is movable or immovable, the former being governed by the law of the domicile, the latter by the Lex Loci Ray City. It was held, however, in 1881 by the Court of Appeal in England that, under the will of an Englishman domiciled in Holland, leaving personal property to children, children legitimated per subsequent matrimonium could take, as they were legitimate by the law of Holland, though not by the law of England, re-Goodman's trusts. This principle was carried further in re Gray's trusts, 1892, where it was held that a legitimated child was entitled to share in a devise of English realty. But it is to be noted that a person born out of lawful wedlock, though legitimated, could not succeed as heir to real estate in England as of 1911. A will duly executed abroad is generally required to be clothed with the authority of a court of the country where any property affected by the will is situate.